0: of the Apostolic Church, the core values of the Apostolic Church, or we started out saying the DNA of the Apostolic Church. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. And tonight we're on the topic of breaking of bread. Um, I'll also throw in there um, the unity of believers. So b- the breaking of bread and the unity of believers, the breaking of bread and unity Of the believers. And so we know our theme has been coming from Acts chapter 2, verse number 36. And so we'll start there with our theme and we'll read through that again. The word of the Lord says in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus, whom I have underlined. Ye have crucified. So somebody pointed out, Peter was preaching, and Peter pointed out their wrong. Peter says, know this, understand this, that God had made that same Jesus whom you crucified, meaning the one you tortured, the one you hung, the one you gave off, you killed, if you will. And so Peter's telling them that the one who came to die for you, to give his life for you, you were the one that crucified him. And so that one is Lord and Christ, meaning God and man. Lord and Christ mean God and man. So they crucified Almighty God who came to this earth as a man. They crucified him. They killed him and not recognized who he was. His very own did this. Okay, and so you would think his very own would recognize him. So the first thing I want you to think about is when God convicts your heart of something you did wrong, what do you do? When God convicts your heart of something you did wrong, what do you do? What did these disciples do? These disciples in verse 37, the word of the Lord says, when they heard this, they were pricked or convicted in their heart. They were stabbed with a sharp pain in their heart. When they heard that they had been uh, responsible for killing Almighty God that came in flesh, they, they, they realized that. So they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So a good thing to practice in your life is when you become convicted of something that you did wrong, it's okay to say to God, you go in your private space and say, God, I feel convicted of what I just did. What shall I do? I'm convicted, Lord, for how I just spoke to that person. What shall I do? Lord, I'm convicted because I just took a sip of wine, and I know that's not something you want me to do. What shall I do? Lord, I just lied, and I know I just lied. What shall I do? God, this is going to be a strange statement, but it's the right statement. God is not surprised and shook by your sin. He took care of the sin problem. I preached years ago. God gave me a word that sin is not our problem. And that sounded strange when I started preaching it because everybody knows if you know, the soul that sinned shall surely die. And I preached the whole thing. And what I was really saying to the congregation at that time is sin can't be a problem because God already took care of sin. And so we can get rid of sin if we so choose. Why is cancer a problem for us? Why is AIDS a problem for us? Why? Because we don't have a remedy to take care of it. So when you don't have a, 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 a method to take care, when you don't have the treatment for something, it is a problem. But when you have uh, uh, the, the, the remedy for any problem, it's not a problem. It's only a problem if you make it a problem. So sin is not our problem. We can't go to heaven sinning, but we have the solution for sin. So because we have the solution for sin, we don't have to worry about it. So God is not shocked. He's not, he's, he's not taken back. He is not surprised when you do something wrong. So don't be afraid to say, God, I just lied. God, I just cussed. God, I just drank that drink and I wasn't supposed to do it. God, God, I just did it and it's wrong. What shall I now do? And you don't have to feel bad about it. Well, you're convicted in your heart because he made you feel bad. But just ask him, what shall you do? Don't leave it out. Don't start telling yourself. you can't really get over any situation or any problem in your life except for God working in your life and helping you to get over it. Same conversation today at work. Um, you know, I don't know, it's hard to stop drinking. I said, you can't stop drinking on your own. But God can help you to stop drinking. He did it for me. And like I said, I'll put my resume of drinking up against anybody. I drank a lot. And I don't still till today, 20-something years later, I'm still puzzled, scratching my head like, how did he do that? How did he do that? How did he move in my life in such a way that I just stopped, boom, stopped drinking? Like, what in the world was that? Because I liked drinking. Drinking was a... You know, a social thing for me. It represented something for me. But when the Lord was ready, because I was ready. He did it. And so I'm here to tell you. The reason why you ask God, what shall I do? Is because whatever he says, you will be able to do it. But don't take upon yourself to think you can just do it. So what do you mean by that, preacher? I mean that I know that telling Trumpy off is wrong. I know it's wrong. But I'm not going to take up on myself to say how I correct it. Because I can try to correct it and make more mess. Because I'm going to have my own way of how I think I should work it out. But if I know I just did wrong by telling them off, I need to step to the side. Lord, I'm convicted. You just convicted my heart for what I just did. What shall I do now? And he'll tell you what to do because he'll tell you what to do because it needs to be done. And he'll tell you what to do because he's going to help you to do what you got to do. We pray a lot of times saying, God, deliver me from this. God, help me with this. And here is the truth. And you find yourself doing it again. Why is that, preacher? Because you really, truly didn't want to stop doing that. You might have said it out with your mouth because you can see that this is not good. But deep down in your heart, because God read heart, God knows everybody's heart and he knows everybody thought. But deep down, you wasn't ready. So God don't tell you to do things you're not ready to do. God don't tell you to do things you're not ready to do. Now, His Word tell you what you should do. His Word say you need to do this, you need, but, but a lot of times His Word is there and we don't pay it any mind. So His Word is going to tell us what we need to do, but we don't always do it. And sometimes we want God to tell us something and God is saying, for instance, God, help me to stop lying. And God is saying, just stop lying. Now, if you're saying, God, help me stop lying because it's really, truly a problem and you want to overcome that problem, he can help you. He can help us with anything. But we have to now become so real with God and say to him what's really going on with us as opposed to just trying to go with the, I don't know, the the thing we know how to say instead of just really and truly going with what it is. So they asked, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Here we go. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So, conversation at work again. They said to me, Well, God, we talk about. We was going into love, not the world, neither things of the world. And, you know, so that's why it's important that we got to be careful what we do and all that stuff. And so we started talking about salvation and, you know, we like the easy way out about salvation. And the only thing I can do, the simple thing that you've seen me do, which I did today again, I said, God is God will not force you to do anything. And whatever you want to do, you got to take part in it. No, no, no. I said, I said let me give you an example. They gave me back the $10 because I did it with the $10. I stood at the office door while she was sitting at her desk. I said, this $10 is yours. Oh, really? I said, yeah, $10 is yours. I'm standing. I said, it's yours. I said, do you have it? No. I said, but it's yours, though. Yeah, I said, until you come and get it, you don't have it, but it's yours. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. It's yours. God's commandment is for you. But until you receive it, until you do something to take hold of it, it don't work. And that's the big challenge we're facing. We want God to do this and God to do that. And we do nothing. And God is saying, no, we do this together. Save yourselves from this untoward. You can't save yourself. So why is the scripture saying save yourself? I slow it down and read sometime. You know you can't save yourself. But why is the scripture saying save yourself? So if you're in a hole that you can't climb out of, you can't save yourself. You know, oh, you can't climb out of it. You can't save yourself. However, if someone let a rope down in the hole, save yourself. Can you save yourself then? you got to do something. you got to hold on to the rope. They'll pull you up. But until that rope comes down and you hold on to that rope so you can get pulled up, you can't save yourself. So the Bible says save yourself. What does that mean? Possess. Do what the Word says and you will be saved. Come get the ten. You'll get the ten. You'll have the ten. So save yourselves. From his untoward generation. So God is clearly letting us know. That if we're going to be saved. We got to do something. Then they that gladly received. His word were baptized. So they believed it. And they did what the word said. By being baptized. And the same day. There were added unto them about. 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. This is our main text here. In the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with singleness, with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. When the church people, when people got saved and started practicing what they were told to do, people started getting saved. God started adding to the church. If the church don't get added unto, it's because we're not practicing what God says. The other day, Ethan came to me. I give you all a a heads up. And he said, Pastor, you know, it's been said that if a church don't have young people, that church is going to die. I said, Ethan, if a church don't continue to reach people, that church is going to die. I said, but you're right. If we're not reaching people, we're going to die. And so all of us need to ask, how are we involved in reaching someone? Because we're built to always think to take care of us. And we don't realize that in the kingdom of God, taking care of others is taking care of you. <laughs> Y'all missed it, went over your head and you're quiet because it's hard. In God's kingdom, taking care of others is essentially taking care of you. And so if we're going to experience really being taken care of by God is because we're in Involved in God's business. God already said in his word that give no thought on what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you need personally. Just get involved with my kingdom and I will take care of you. So we don't need to be taken care of if we will get involved with taking care of others. And if the body of Christ, the example to compare it to is like the physical body, then we better try to take care of others. Ask any athlete, you may have experienced this on your own. If one thing is wrong in your body, it's a possibility that something else will go wrong. Why? Because you compensate for the one thing that's wrong. So you're going to wear out a part of your body that you normally don't put that much pressure on because something is wrong in one part. So if your big toe is messed up and you can't walk right, you could get something wrong with the back of your leg right here because now you have to walk differently because the big toe is messed up. And before you know it, now you pull a muscle in your thigh because you can't walk normally. Go back to the body of Christ now. Now that we know that's a physical body, it's the same thing with the body of Christ. We need the body to be fitly joined together and for everybody to do their part, pull their own weight so we can function normally. Because if everybody don't do that, we're going to overcompensate. For some of you that don't know, this is why the old church got worn out. I'm trying to tell some of these new people, young churches, I said, don't work the people too hard in the church and don't let them do a whole bunch of stuff because what they're doing is they're overcompensating and eventually that catches up to you. What you want is for everybody to function in their proper role. So whatever God gifted you to do, you want to function in that role because somebody needs you to function in that role. The body needs you to function in that role so nobody has to say, well, let me go try audio-visual because since we don't have anybody over there, let me go try it. You can try it and you can get some things done, but the body's not functioning right. Because somebody else is sitting in the audience that God had gifted to kill it. And so because that person is not taking on their role, the body not functioning right. And so we got to realize that God is the one that's building the church. So you better know how smart he is. It's not happenstance why you became a part of a church. So if God is building the body, I'm going to make sure she gets saved to go to that church because I know how I'm building that church and I know what they need. So she's going to get saved to go there. He's going to get saved to go there. That one, they're going to get saved to go to that other church because they need that. That's who's building the church. So he's drawing people to the place where he had them fitly framed, fitly joined to do what they need to do because he wants the body to function the way it needs to. So he's drawn everybody to the place where he wants them so the body can function properly. So when he puts you in a body, he puts you there to say, all right, that's what the body needed. Now function the way I created you to. He's good, and so those were our texts that we've gone over for all the weeks that we've talked about the core value of the apostolic church. The first week we we, we talked about the first core value was the apostles' doctrine, and we kind of elaborated on that, taught about that that the apostles' doctrine. Um, what it mainly deal with is God being one and his name is Jesus. We talked a lot about the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection. Uh, we talked about the gospel of the kingdom, which is salvation. And the way we get salvation is by revelation, repentance, baptism in Jesus name, the infilling of the Holy ghost with the evidence of speaking another tongue. That's all, uh, apostle doctrine teaching. We emphasize the name of Jesus Christ, not we, but the teachings. Baptism in the name is emphasized. Living a holy and separated lifestyle um, of holiness, we, we emphasize that. That's, that's part of the, the the apostles' doctrine. And also, we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, which we call the rapture. Those are things that deal with the apostles' doctrine. If you read what the apostles wrote, what Jesus uh, moved them to write, they wrote about those things. Those are things that was essential. That was part of the DNA, the core values. So we talked about the apostles' doctrine. We talked about fellowship, the importance of fellowship. And what did we say about fellowship? Fellowship is having and sharing things in common with each other. You cannot fellowship with someone that. Don't have things in common with you. We talked about that. We said when we are when we are with someone that don't have the same thing in common with us, we're being witnesses at that time. I'm not telling you not to be with them. I'm telling you, you ought to be a witness. You ought to be the light. You ought to be the salt. You ought to demonstrate the love of God because you're being a witness. They're not like you, so you can't share certain things with them because they wouldn't understand. But if you can love them, if you can be the light, if you can can, can live out what God says, then you can impact their life. And maybe one day they will have things in common with you so you can have fellowship. We talked about that. Then I kind of flip-flop these things a little bit. And so we talked about prayer. And we said prayer is entreating or petitioning God. Entreating or petitioning God. And so when you pray, you're entreating what God wants or you're petitioning God for His will to be done. We talk about prayer must be about God's redemptive work in the earth. That when you pray, your prayer should be focused on the kingdom of God. Your prayer should focus on how you can work with God to to fulfill his purpose in the earth. That's what our prayers should consist of more. How can I say that? Because the Bible says, give no thought what you may eat, what you may drink. Give no thought on the necessities of life because God said he will take care of those. But if you will seek his kingdom, then now he's saying, I need you to labor together with me because I'll take care of you. Don't worry about that. So when we pray, we don't have to pray, God, I need this, God, I need that. In, in the, our father prayer, it says, uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Right. And all we're doing is is just kind of declaring what God already said that he will take care of. And so we got to realize there's a lot of things that we may be praying about that we don't need to pray about. Because God says, I'll take care of you. And so it brings me to the topic tonight of the breaking of bread and unity of the believers, the breaking of bread and unity of the believers. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. When you talk about the breaking of bread, you're going to see in in the scriptures that it's going to be mentioned in a couple different ways. It will be mentioned as communion But it also will be mentioned as a time of Christians just getting together and enjoying a meal together. So when you read the Bible, when you see breaking of bread, it can mean communion. You're taking communion or it could mean that we're just together and we're just fellowshipping and we're eating breaking of bread. It could be one of two things. Those, both of what I just mentioned to you, because that's what we ought to do. That's part of our core value. That's part of our DNA as Christians. We're supposed to break bread. So I always, say, what do you always hear me say? It's, 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 it's godly to eat. Don't overeat. But it's godly to eat. And we get together, always eat. It's biblical. You're not doing something wrong. It's all good. So if somebody says, "Why well, every time we get together, we, we got to eat. What's your response? It's biblical. Yeah, every time we get together, we eat. Why? It's biblical. So don't be ashamed of the game. Every time we get together, let's eat. Because it's Bible. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. This is talking about the communion. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same matter also he took the cup when he had supped saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you or ye drink it in remembrance of me. So that he tell us about is communion. So when we get together for service, it's okay for us to break the bread and have communion. Bread. And have communion, the cup which is not liquor, but grape juice and drink, because we're doing it in remembrance of what he has done for us, his body, giving his body a sacrifice for us, shedding his blood so our sins could so when we get together at times, communion is the breaking of bread. Communion is the breaking of bread. So we know breaking of bread could be communion, but we also know breaking of bread can also be getting together and eating. Uh-huh. Acts chapter 16 verse 25. He's an example Of breaking the bread in fellowship and getting together. And at midnight, got a lot of stuff in his There's a lot of meat in this scripture. A lot of meat. Meat. A lot of meat in this scripture. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. We'd be worried about what people are hearing us saying about God. I start talking about God. I try to get a little loud. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's band were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, not Paul and Silas, himself. Why was he going to kill himself? Because as a guard, if you let any of the prisoners, prisoners escape, that was going to be your life. So you know if they got away, you done. So he's just figuring, I'll just take my life instead of um you know, them taking my life because these prisoners escaped and not one, but probably a whole lot escaped, because all the doors are open. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light. And sprang in. And came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. When you live your life to serve the Lord. When God decides to move. People are going to know what's happening. If you live your life trying to be like everybody else. They won't believe it's God. When God is moving. When you live your life. Pleasing God. When God moves, people will know it's God. Oh, they God, God. They don't play. That's God moving. But if you try to blend in with everybody else, when God moves, nobody will realize it's God that's moving. And brought them out and said, sirs. You need to underline this and write this down. And brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do? To be saved. Remember I told you there's a lot of people in church. In churches all across the world. That if you ask them how to be saved. They don't know how to tell you. It's sad. Because so many people are going to church. But they can't explain Tony. How to get saved. I thought that's why we went to church initially. Is to get saved. So why churches can't explain. How to get saved. Don't be a Christian that can't explain how to get saved. Because people want to be saved. they just not talking about it because nobody's explaining it to them. All right. So the question was asked. Verse 31. And they said, believed on the Lord Jesus. (laughs) This is where the world stops. All you got to do is believe. Lie. But do you need to believe? Yes. But that's not all you need to do. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shall. You got to look at the word shall, key word. Shall mean you're not yet saved. So believe and it will, it shall happen. But it don't mean it happened. So why we keep saying, oh, I believe Jesus Christ died rose what do you mean it says believe and you shall it don't mean believe and you save Uh uh-huh and so not just you but your house and they spake unto him so after they say believe and you shall they went and taught some more so after they believed Teaching and they spake unto him the word of the Lord. So the first thing is you got to first believe a little bit here. And I'll speak and teach you the word of God. And when they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straightway. way so when someone tell you all you got to do is believe please write the scripture down so you can show them come on now i mean you got plenty you got Acts chapter 2 verse 36 through 40 but you got this right here too because this kind of speak directly to what people are selling us just believe and believing is the beginning uh-huh. Thirty four. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them. That wasn't um communion. <laughs> Cause when the Holy Ghost moves, you get hungry. <laughs> you ever notice that? You, you, you ever notice if you ever get into a church service where the Spirit of the Lord moves in that, you get out, you hungry. And that's something that's always been practiced in Scripture that when we come into the house of the Lord and we experience the power of God and God does what He do, we come out and say that was awesome. We hungry. And so Paul and Silas ministered to these men. And when it was all said and done, they said, I'm giving my life. I believe. And they got baptized in the name of Jesus. And after that, they was hungry. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So we need to always take time to eat with one another. We can't wait to get away from one another when we come to church. We're so anti-Bible, but we say we're Christians. We're so anti-Bible because we can't wait. We want to get away from each other to go get around people that's not like us. And we can't have fellowship with the people that's not like us. Because they don't have what we have in common. So why don't we spend more time together? Why? Why don't we put more time in with one another? Why is it so hard for us to come to church? And why is it so hard for us to spend time with one another, call each other up and say, won't you come over? Or whatever the case may be and spend time and eat. Because eating is a part of being a Christian. Eating together is part of being a Christian. But why don't we do enough of that? We're not broke. It's not because we don't have money. We just don't do it. Get used to this. Christianity is not a private thing. I don't care how much you're introvert. I don't care how much you keep to yourself. When God saved you, he brought you into a family, a body. Introvert stuff got to go. Being by yourself stuff got to go. Because you got to realize that the people of God, or we're going to spend eternity together. We, we got to love one another. And so we're struggling with that. We got to work on that because there's no way God is going to allow any one of us to be spending eternity with each other if we're not loving each other. We like to say, just believe. God is merciful. We're not going to go to hell. I just know God's not going to let us in heaven if we're not going to love each other. If you have more than one kid, you know, they always getting into stuff. And one of your response at some point in time or plenty plenty of other times, you might say, you better figure out how to get along with one another. That's what you tell your kids. So why <laughs> why, why we think we're any different? We got to learn to get along with one another if we plan to go to heaven with each other. I've been lately how bad I want to go to Israel I don't know what, it, what is that all about but I want, I want to go to Israel bad and so the folks that I went to Israel with in 2014 they're sponsoring another trip this year in, in, in November but the price that I paid when I went 2014 man the price that they're charging to go in November out of control so I'm like we can't make that trip However, because I feel like I want to go to Israel still, I'm like, nothing can stop this. I need to go to Israel. So I, I called them up now. I said, Listen, what do you got going on? Because I trust these people, they're top notch. What do you got going on? They said, Well, in March of 2021, we're sponsoring a trip to Israel where blended churches can get together. And if they want to go, they can make it to Israel. And what they mean by that is no one church have to be the church that filled the whole trip. So. And it, it crosses all denomination. They just want to fill the trip. They said that trip is going to be significantly less than this trip. So they said, if you want to go do that one, then let us know. So I gave them all our information so they'll get some information out to us. And if you want to go to Israel in March of twenty twenty one. Plenty of time. We need to start to, um, thinking about it. I'm, I'm sure it'll be somewhere about $3,500 per person. About 3500 per person. Hmm? It's probably going to be about 10 days. Um, but let me tell you, it's well worth it. Um, when you, um, they will fly you from Newark. To Ben Gurion in Israel, you get off, top-notch bus come and pick you up. You stay at five-star hotels. They carry you around every day. You get breakfast and dinner every day. I mean, it's all good. Trust me, 3,500 <coughs> is not bad. And you get to see Israel and the land of the Bible. It just makes a difference in your soul. Trust me, it makes a difference in your soul. It's just something about it. But we need to make plans to go if you want to go 3,500, trip of your life. You will not take another trip that's better than that trip. Every other trip you take will be nice, but it won't be better than that trip. March 2021. So that's important there to keep a note, put it back in your mind. I'll get the information to you pretty soon. But breaking up bread and unity as believers is very important. We have to start figuring out ways. One of the reasons or one of the ways reasons why the old time church was powerful is a lot of stuff. But I'm going to tell you what I think it was. They spent a lot of time together. One of the reasons why I believe the old time church is powerful. They spent a lot of time together. The Bible talks about. In Psalms 133 talks about unity and that god dwells in unity of the brethren and if and if and if we want to see some fantastic and amazing things we got to start liking each other loving each other and want to be with each other every waking moment that we get we need to want to spend time with one another because we will get to experience a lot of godly things in our lives god will do some amazing things because it's right That we come together as much as we can. Do communion. We come together as much as we can. And break bread. Final scripture. Unity of the believers. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23 says. Let us. Hold fast. The profession. The Of our faith without wavering. I wonder what does that mean? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. I got to go back to this. This is just driving me. We're trying to serve God, but we're looking for the easiest possible way. Let me tell you something. In your natural relationships, in your natural relationships, you know if somebody loves you or they don't. You know if somebody loves you or they don't in your natural relationship. Now think about the Almighty who knows your thoughts, who knows your heart. You really think, me included, do we really think we can fake the funk Go through the motions and act like we love God when we really don't and think that's going to fly. But somehow we have deceived ourselves in thinking that I show up in church. I do this. I do that. Remember. Remember. The dude that went to the Lord and says, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did not we do wonderful works in thy name? And the Lord says, depart from me, for I never knew you. We can show up in church. God can even use us. Me? God can even use us. Don't mean we have a right relationship with him. And I don't want to wait till that time to realize I didn't have a right relationship. So we need to be straight up with God and and be honest and transparent when we communicate with him that we know where we are with him. We can't just play around. We got to we got to come straight with him to let him know we know where we are with him and we want to be better. And so God is looking for a people that love him, not a people that's just obeying him because they want what he got. How many times we hear? I don't know if you ever heard it, but I've heard it. People used to say, you only call me or come see me when you need something. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes only time you show up. Only time you reach out is when you want something. Nobody likes that. Because God designed and created all of us to want to experience love. And so nobody don't want to feel like they're being used. So we got to ask ourselves, are we using God? Or we're really loving God? Gotta ask ourselves that. Because sometimes we get enough information on God that we realize I can't miss out on heaven, man, because I ain't going to hell. And that's no reason to live for God because I don't want to go to hell. And you've heard me say this before. If you're trying to live for God because you don't want to go to hell. You're not going to make it. That sounds cruel. But you're not going to make it. You can't. Try to live for God because you don't want to go to hell and make it. Because he will do you like the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? He knew how to do the formality. He knew how to do things a certain way. And then Jesus, one day at some point in time, going to hit him real hard and say to him, okay, I know what's near and dear to your heart and it ain't me. Sell all your stuff, because that's what's near and dear to your heart, all your good. Sell all of that, because I want you to come follow me. Because I know when you come follow me, when you have nothing and you come follow me, that's because you love me. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. God is looking for people that love him, not people that are trying to use him. That, that's, that's just wanting his stuff. And so let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And so what the word of God is telling us is. Let me just say it in our terms. Let's stop trying to look for the loophole. For he is faithful that promise. So if the promises are not rolling the way you think they should roll. Don't waver. Don't give up. Don't make it like you're only living for God because of his promises. Live for God because you love God. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We need to do things to show love one to another. Love somebody so they will be provoked to love somebody. Does that make sense? Love somebody that they will be provoked to love somebody. If you show love to somebody, sooner or later, they're going to show love to somebody else. But if we don't show, we that's supposed to know God, if we don't show love, then who are they going to learn love from? So if we will love people, then they will learn what love is all about. And they too, eventually, when they come to know who love is, They'll love somebody too. And 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so that's our text there that we always talk about to say it's very important that we always look for the opportunities to assemble ourselves together. We have three opportunities as a congregation, aside from other things that we may do. Every week, we have three opportunities to assemble ourselves. Thursdays at 7.30, Saturdays at 6.30, and Sundays, 9.30 and 10.30. We have three opportunities to assemble ourselves every week. And if we're going to make sure that we get this thing right... We should look forward to making every time we assemble together. Why don't we want to be together? Why don't we want to break bread together? Why don't we want to pray together? Why don't we want to study the word of God together? What is there that's better than that for us that are looking forward to one day be with Jesus? What is going to be better for us? Our jobs? Our material possessions? The people that don't care about God, that's just like, hey, you can do your God all you want. I'm doing me. What are we going to do? What's taking our attention away from God? What's taking our attention away from spending time with one another? What's more important? The core values of the apostolic church, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, unity, and togetherness, and finally, praising and worshiping God. If we apply those things in our lives, we will see a mighty move of God in our midst every time. I can tell you this, that some Sundays we come together and even though we're together, we're not together. And when it's like that, very difficult for God to work in the midst because God work in unity. So coming together don't mean we are together. But if we will pray before we come together and ask God to align us, one of the prayers I pray on, I pray on Sunday, Lord, align us with the spirit of God so we can be one in God because if we're all aligned with God's spirit then we're one in God if all of us are aligned with the spirit of God then we become one and so then we'll be one in direction and as God move on us we will respond because we're all unified in God it's very important we got to get stirred up we got to get awakened and start coming together breaking bread together being unified, spending time together, because the fact of the matter is, the truth is, if you stick with this, these are the people you're going to spend eternity with. And the ones or the places that you want to go, that's not godly. If you spend more time there, then that's where your eternal eternal soul would be. And unfortunately, you're ready for this one. When the time comes to spend eternity away from God, you will not be familiar with the place you will be. You won't be familiar. You won't even know it. Any questions? The core values of the apostolic church. We need to practice them, not just know them. We need to practice them. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 through 42 should be embedded in your mind. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 34 should be embedded in your mind. Those are texts that you need to know, practice them, live them out because it's, it's what we need to have in our soul. It's part of our DNA, the core values of the kingdom of God. And if we live them out, One day, we'll be on the other side with Jesus. Any questions? Any comments? Y'all quiet on me tonight. All right. Let's pray since there's no question, no comment. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, what must we do that you may add to your church. We understand, almighty God, that if we do the work of the ministry, if we serve you, if we seek the kingdom first, then, Lord, you will add to the body. You will strengthen the body. And, oh, God, for some of us that are struggling, listen to me. Our answer is in us reaching somebody. The struggle that some of us are dealing with, God want me to tell you, your answer is in in laboring in the kingdom of God for God to send what he needs to send to the body. The answer is, Is what God will send into the body. Who God will send into the body. The thing that you need. God says I will send it into the body. But I need you to labor with me. Oh my God. Your healing can take place. If you will just labor for the kingdom's sake. Your deliverance can take place. If you just labor for the kingdom's sake. The body will heal itself. If we will just do what we're supposed to do. Father, will you move on us tonight in a supernatural way will you move on us almighty God in a miraculous way that Lord our understanding will be opened up and we will have clarity, clarity in in knowing Lord God what we're supposed to do so the body can be stronger so the body could be whole so the body could be healed oh God will you show us what we must do, what we ought to do for the body Lord God to function the way it's supposed to function, I pray to night by the power and the authority of the word of God and the spirit of God that Lord there will be something that will transpire on the inside tonight Lord that we will never ever be the same that we will oh God be transformed that we will be renewed and that we will experience spiritual growth Lord God for Lord we want thy kingdom to come and thy will to be done God we're not satisfied Lord we want to see your will be done we want to see the kingdom manifest will you hear us tonight lord god as we cry out and petition for your will to be done oh god have your way tonight oh god speak to us tonight oh god help us tonight for we want your will to be done we want to see your kingdom come we want to see your will be done in this earth this Play a vessel, Lord God. Oh, Father, have your way. We look to you tonight, Lord God. Stir us, Lord God. Challenge us, Almighty God. Make us uncomfortable, Lord, to the point where we will know that you're calling us into a deeper relationship, into a place, Lord God, where we will become intimately involved with the plan and purpose of God. Oh, my God, help us.